Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast. And, you know, I would hazard that probably 99% of the people complaining about this don't even own an Xbox. Right, so it doesn't right, matter to them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining, no, like <laughs> in the future on Bumble, you're going to put a screenshot of your power save settings on Xbox. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't date anybody who has this specific power right, save setting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of ASL, it's AS power save setting. <laughs> Does your voice changer have a William Hickey setting? The guy from, if you remember, uh, what is that? Uncle Lewis from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Grace, stop relaxing. <laughs> if you're not doing anything constructive, <laughs> go in the living room, get my stogie. So I, I was hoping, too, that I had an Aunt Bethany one, too. <laughs> Did I break wind? Did you hear the room clear out? <laughs> Bethany, no, the presents. It's <laughs> talking about presents. We shouldn't have bought presents. <laughs> I think we'll be quoting movies more uh, more tonight than usual. <laughs> That's going to be blues hell. It's just us like in a waiting room with both of us on either side of her just quoting movies. <laughs> she either she doesn't know or she doesn't like. Yeah, because once you two get started, like you don't stop. You just go and quote the entire movie and then seamlessly go into whatever next movie pops into your head. And then you just keep going and going in this infinite circle. <laughs> Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> it's, uh, it's me taking the bull by the horns. Uh, it's a metaphor. but <laughs> It's a metaphor. I really did that. <laughs> I think we should mate. What? I said, I think we should date. I'm sorry. I just threw up in my own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to begin my courtship if you can't. Are we ready? <laughs> yeah, I think we are. Whenever you two are done, we're all just sitting here. <laughs> Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 57. Today is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. My name is Donnie G. Retro, and I will be your host this evening. Otherwise known as Sick Barry White to everybody, uh, I have been sick for the past couple of days. And tonight, for the first time, I'm able to actually breathe normally through my nose and not sound like I am death incarnate. So there, I've got that going for me. But along with me, 
I have my two gracious co-hosts. My first co-host sprouts hair and chews up your controller whenever there's a full moon. <laughs> Going forward, she will forever be known as Ware Williams. Blue, how are you tonight? You could have left out the hair part. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have. I don't think everybody needs to know about the body hair situation. <laughs> it's very tasteful. It looks very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's well-groomed, okay, if you were wondering. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. Like, Is it a blow-dry situation with lots of uh, creams and, and, and sprays and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. I, I pay for the nice blowout. So Bl- The blowout? It's oh god! <laughs> for the blowout after you. <laughs> I, I don't even think I want to explain what this is. <laughs> yeah, let's just move on. Good idea. <laughs> and my second co-host um, recently crowned himself king of the water by dunking on some kids at a swim meet. Uh, we are talking about the one, the only. Ryan Payne, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing good, and those kids deserved it. They had it coming. <laughs> Did it give you a feeling of accomplishment? Not. I don't think accomplishment is the right word. <laughs> okay. I was re- making a reference to that gamer who was paid by parents. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. He's like, yes. oh, it gave me yes. a feeling of accomplishment. So that, that's where I was going with that. But oh, it, my God. I'm totally that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you have parents coming up to you at practice and like slipping you like a $50 bill and saying, you know what, just get it in my kid's head that they suck so I don't have to come and drop them off and watch them at practice anymore? I don't, but I might make that a part of my repertoire. <laughs> just <laughs> I'm gonna get a T-shirt with like screen printed on the back, uh, just a price list <laughs> of right. what I can do. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our reviews, reactions, and requests. Real Sergeant Tom says, "Hope we get some of the Stadia-only games coming to other platforms in the future." But happy with the update to the controller for sure. Stadia-only games? How many? How big is that library? It wasn't huge, but there were a couple like Guilt is one of the games that was a Stadia only exclusive that I was really interested in and it is getting ported over to other platforms. So, yay. Nice. All right. You'd have to figure that they would be and not just left alone in Stadia hell. You hope not. Dorian says, I've said it before and I say it again. I'm Team Blue. I prefer the classic single player video game experience as well. I couldn't care less about the sweaty video game lobbies of AAA FPS games. I'm giving Dorian an in-spirit fist bump right now. Nobody can see it, but he knows. He knows. And Oz Indy says, Dongle. 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 I threw this together in about seven minutes, so. And now, it's time for the... Oh, God. (laughs) Very important. Oh, 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 see, that that is creepy as (laughs) we're going to need a bigger podcast. I was going to say we're going to need a bigger poll. All right. Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP, very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. So this week's question was, who is the most badass deity in video games? 
Coming in in third place, Arceus from Pokemon at 10.2% of the votes. The Golden Goddesses from Zelda came in second with 15.6% of the votes. And the winner was Raiden from Mortal Kombat with 53.3% of the votes. Weber Chevrolet! (laughs) 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 You remembered. I did. I did. I remembered. Uh, That's kind of sweet. Weber Chevrolet! We also had 21% of people vote other. So let's look at some of the comments from the poll. Aaron Esk said, I would like to nominate my boy Zagreus. Strong in many fields with many weapons, smart, funny, and a kind person, even though his dad gave him a hard time growing up. At Marsupial Gamer said, how about Hylia reincarnated as Zelda? At Frank is Baldwin said, Kafka in Final Fantasy III or Final Fantasy VI for the young folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> His final form was infuriatingly difficult, and he destroyed the world. At Arcade Pilot said Alma from Ninja Gaiden. I still haven't beaten her yet. And at Retro Gift Monster says Kirby, just try and stop him. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you vote in the poll, Ryan? Uh, I went with other on this one. Uh, I'm going to break the rules, completely break the, break the rules here. Even though I think Arceus is a great example because Arceus supposedly created all the Pokemon. Golden Goddesses, of course, created all of Hyrule. And Raiden uh, for his Chevrolet dealership and his control of electricity. All great choices. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to choose me. I am the most badass deity in video games. Think of all the games in God Simulations you can play as a... God, so The Sims, uh, Act Razor, pretty much any game out there that allows you to kind of control things in a deatistic type of way. So I'm going to go ahead and cop out on this one and pick myself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and watch, is he going to get, he's going to get smitten or smoten or smitten or however you pronounce it <laughs> by getting his toe banged on something very sharp tonight. <laughs> I'm just going to shake my fist, be like, I I deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to get real um actually about it, then we're all deities. So you are comparing yourself to all of us and still declaring yourself the best. Are you sure that's accurate? Hmm. Very, very sure. I'm confident. He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you got to admire that kind of confidence. Right. <laughs> so how did you vote, Donnie? I kind of had a tough time on this one because of the whole, what dictates a deity or what defines a deity. So I was looking at some of the articles and stuff like this for like the, the best deity around and, and yada, yada, yada. And, and one of the, like, although I like Raiden, I, I think in some of the lore, he gets defeated. All right. And, and you don't like to see deities defeated. Uh, it makes him kind of look weak. So I've always loved Raiden, but then I start thinking about how badass Kratos was. You know, he mm-hmm. took down gods. He took down Ares, the god of war, and became the new god of war. He was just a regular person that ended up slaying a god. So, in my opinion, that's pretty badass. And I went with Kratos. No arguments from me. That's a good choice. Sweet. What about you, Blue? What'd you go with? I went with one of the deities from Hollow Knight, which is the Radiance. And in order to avoid getting too spoilery with how the Radiance fits into the story, I'll say that if you're doing the Pantheon runs, she is the final, final, final boss of the final, final Pantheon. So 
if you want to get the platinum trophy for Hollow Knight, you got to get through the Radiance first. And it is a brutal slog of a boss fight that comes after a brutal slog of a boss rush. And I can't do it. <laughs> I, can't. I haven't done it yet. I really, really would like to, but she's too much for me. I can't do it. So, so far, this deity remains unbeaten, at least when it comes to me. All right, let's take a look at our patron shoutouts. You couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here we are. Here are the generous folks <laughs> wow. supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Love Retro BTW, Steven San, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, The Redux PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke. Zach Huge Thanks, Rerun Gamer, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo S, Bill Tucker, Rye Bread's Number One Fan, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Saiyaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, number one Donnie Sick Boys fan, aka <laughs> Sheriff Snacks. Is that an official name change or? It is in the Discord, so that's all that matters, I think. Okay, okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Break Grande and JNL Game. If you like what you hear today, we really hope that you do. Please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the costs of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. And this Friday, so the day you're going to be hearing this, uh, we'll actually be hosting a movie night themed Robin Williams movie night. So if you want to join in that, definitely visit patreon.com slash gamersweek. And now on to our headlines. Our headline segment is proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hughes pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Newtopia and Pilot Wings. Visit them at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. I love Pilot Wings. Oh, absolutely. The one thing that's true to life is if you fail, you get the angry face guy yelling at you because you didn't do it right. I was like, yeah, that's like real life. That's fantastic. Teaching the kids young. You're going to disappoint someone. (laughs) (laughs) That's got dark. (laughs) Always an angry face guy yelling at me. (laughs) All right. First up tonight from Den of Geek. Xbox's strange power saving climate change controversy explained. Earlier this year, Microsoft announced via blog post that they would transform the Xbox into the world's first carbon-aware console. Theoretically, that would mean less dependency on fossil fuels, lower CO2 emissions, and reduced electricity bills. Sounds like a win-win for everyone, right? Well, according to a vocal minority, it's all part of a ploy to make Microsoft go woke. After Microsoft announced the power-saving update, several sites and some larger Twitter accounts took up arms against the company. All of these sources have one thing in common. They are operated by hardline conservatives. Right-wing outlets such as The Blaze and Fox News reported on Microsoft's announcements, and when the Young America Foundation's Twitter account retweeted the news, it added the claim that a woke brigade was coming for your video games. 
Ultimately, the Xbox climate change controversy is the result of people making a mountain out of a molehill, either due to a misunderstanding of the situation or the desire to push an existing political narrative. Microsoft's upcoming changes are honestly a non-issue. Don't want your Xbox to turn off while you're asleep? Change the console's active hours, either manually or set them to always active. From there, the shutdown mode will still turn the console off. Again, these are all options, and you are free to use them or not as you like. Nobody is forcing anyone to do anything with their Xbox, despite what you may hear about this subject in the future. So one of the things that I, I want to point out before we talk about this is that we were having a discussion in our group chat about whether or not we wanted to tackle this topic uh, because we wanted to avoid obviously being overly political about this. So I think one of the things that, that we will take a look at this is from the point of view of kind of more of an objective point of view rather than trying to tackle this politically. So fair warning. <laughs> <laughs> right. And for the record, I wish this wasn't news. Because Agreed. it's really not. It's really not news. No. This is just political parties that hate each other going out of their way to drag Xbox into it, into a political arena where it doesn't belong. Video game consoles are not something that should be politicized. Completely agree. When did caring about the environment, when did that suddenly become woke? You can still care about the environment and not have it really be a political issue. I know that it currently is. I know it, there's a, a flip side of the coin where if you care about the environment, well, that means that you, you, you like to do this or you like to do that. And what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with about making sure that this environment or this world is sustainable for generations and generations and generations. And one of the things, the other parts of this is that the fact that it is not a mandatory thing. You do not right. have to have this done. It's something that you can change. And therefore, no one's going to be knocking down your door and being like, is that not on carbon save mode? Arrest this guy. <laughs> right. Obviously, with politics, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, as Blue stated, it's about trying to score points against the other and Xbox getting dragged into this just because it's it's a political football, more or less. Of course. And, uh, you know, we've talked about stuff like this in the past where politicians uh, from, you know, both sides of the aisle here in the U.S. have utilized video games and video game companies as a means to do just that. Uh, so I think we'll I will stick with my uh, hardline approach that stop it, that that doesn't need right. to happen. Uh, hands off my video games, I guess, is what I'm saying. Poor Xbox, leave them out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, you're not wrong. There is a long established history of politicians dragging video games through the mud when it suits them, whether it's as a scapegoat for violence or a scapegoat mm -hmm. for children doing poorly in school or, you know, what, what, whatever is the problem du jour, it can be blamed on video games if it suits them. So here's another example of where it suits them to bring video games into their arena as a tool and if the last several years have shown us anything, it's that the increased tribalization of politics is good business. It's mm -hmm. good business for the parties involved and it's good business for the media. So in some ways, like I said, I'd really love to not give this additional attention because you could be argued that we're part of the media and we're doing just that. But it's been such a hot button topic online today. And right, so right. I think it's worth us addressing in a show that, you know, that makes a, a specific point to avoid politics. It's worth addressing if only to say it's stupid. <laughs> if there's going to be an active hours police, 
can it please be like the two guys from Scott Pilgrim versus the world for the vegan police? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> no active hours management, no Xbox powers. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why Microsoft is doing this is that from a company perspective, they've set a goal to be carbon neutral, I think by 2030, which is an extremely popular thing to do from a corporate standpoint. But again, it's a choice that you can make at home, whether or not you want to participate in that. And uh, nobody's going to judge you because they're unless they <laughs> come to your house specifically looking for your power save settings. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I would hazard that probably 99% of the people complaining about this don't even own an Xbox. Right, so it doesn't right, matter to them. Yeah. Right. Right. But if you already spent the 600 or however many dollars to buy an Xbox, this is probably not going to be the thing that's going to break you on Microsoft. I'm just imagining, no, like in the future on Bumble, you're going to put a screenshot of your power save settings on Xbox. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't date anybody who has this specific power save setting. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of ASL, it's AS power save setting. (laughs) What a future we live in. (laughs) This is the worst timeline. All right, next up from GameSpot, Xbox stream announcements include surprise game releases and much more. Microsoft held its first ever Developer Direct Showcase today, and the gameplay-focused presentation brought the heat. Tango Gameworks, the studio founded by Resident Evil veteran Shinji Mikami and known for The Evil Within and Ghostwire Tokyo, has announced its next game, Hi-Fi Rush, and it's out today. A rhythm action game, Hi-Fi Rush, has players performing moves to add layers to the music. The more you flow with the beat, the better you can perform abilities. Everything syncs up with the music as you play. Mikami said he was keen to try something new for this team's next game. Additionally, the Direct confirmed that Redfall will launch on May 2nd, 2023, which is the date that leaked a while ago. Redfall was originally set for release in 2022 before it got pushed to 2023 alongside Starfield. Mojang showed off Minecraft Legends, which will allow you to form alliances when returning Minecraft creatures, as well as new ones. The crossplay multiplayer experience, which was made in conjunction with Blackbird Interactive, forces you to share your army and resources with the rest of the team. This means cooperation is key to winning, as everyone trying to do the same thing will end in failure. Minecraft Legends launches April 18th, and finally, ZeniMax Online Studios has revealed their next chapter of the Elder Scrolls Online, and it's called Necrom. The showcase also shared for a limited time, all players can have access to every chapter and all 20 DLCs for the Elder Scrolls Online for free. The Chrome chapter of the Elder Scrolls Online launches on June 5th on PC and June 20th on Xbox consoles. So they just announced the game and it's already out? Wow. Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, Shadow Drop. Happy Wednesday, everyone. <laughs> and I was seeing some people who had already played it, and they were saying that their their early impressions of the game were that it was great. And I checked out the trailer of it, and I don't really like rhythm games. I don't really have a sense of rhythm, but this <laughs> looks really fun, honestly. It's bright and colorful, and the launch trailer had the Black Keys playing in the background while they were showing game footage, and then they took the time to cut the trailer to the beat of the music, which I thought was a nice touch. 
So what you're saying, though, is you said you had no rhythm. So next time we do a live episode of Gamers Week, you're going to show us your dance moves. And we're all going to be like, oh, look, <laughs> the Elaine Bennis. <laughs> Sweet fancy Moses. Right. I'll just I'll just cut to like a, a shot of that and then you'll get the idea. <laughs> well, one of our patrons put in the discord uh, today, uh, Geek With That. He's, he stated that Hi-Fi Rush is a fun game. He completed the first level and basically have no rhythm at all, um, but it was still very forgiving, especially on the grade and score. So when we talk about rhythm games, what do we specifically mean? How is it a rhythm game? So all of the combat is based on the beat of the music that's playing. Oh, gotcha. okay. Gotcha. So it's not a rhythm game in the sense like Dance Dance Revolution no, or something or like that. No, not like uh, Guitar Hero, not like you're playing something, but you do gotcha. have to play according to the beat. I think it's like Metal Hellsinger is like that. Right. Oh, it is. okay. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh. So it, it's right. along those lines. Are we going to start seeing more bands uh, license their music to games like this, where you can go in and beat somebody up to Elton John's uh, Tiny Dancer? <laughs> Hold me closer. <laughs> tiny Dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Just, every time I hear that song, I can't help but change the lyrics to Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> I've got a t-shirt. That's, <laughs> that's the original intended lyric, and you'll never convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to hear that Redfall will be, in fact, launching on May 2nd. So even though we all knew that, great to hear good uh, official confirmation on that. So. Right. Though there's certain games that you don't actually believe they're going to release until they release. Right, right. Starfield is one, Hogwarts Legacy is another, and I would say Redfall falls in that camp. Redfall falls. (laughs) 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 Another thing is we were talking, I think last week, about trying to prolong the life cycles of games with how Elder Scrolls 6 will potentially last for 20 years or so. After this announcement of the ESO expansion or new chapter or whatever it's called, Necrom, I've seen a lot of people online saying that they suddenly want to get back into this game again after they left it behind a long time ago. That's the formula, right? You make everything free as far as DLC was in the past. You put some polish on it, make it so that the gameplay has changed ever so slightly. Mm -hmm. And it's like brand new. Yeah, and it's free for a limited time. So if you don't get on it now, you got to have that call to action. You're going to miss out. And it's it's releasing on PC on my birthday. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're going to be doing on your birthday? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from me, honey. I'm playing Elder Scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not today, honey. <laughs> so all these people that that wait to get games, that wait six months to a year, this was the long wait. For you not to play the Elder Scrolls online, here now's your chance. Like you've missed out on the past what? How long? Fifteen years? Twenty years since the Elder Scrolls online has been out? I'm looking it up. Do you think anybody's going to be upset that they paid for all the DLC and that? Yes, oh, they always are. Absolutely. They always are. It happened with <laughs> Destiny. It happens with everything. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online released 1994. Holy shnikes. Yeah. <laughs> so be upset, though. Be upset for a game that's been out for <laughs> almost 30 years. <laughs> How right. much did you pay for internet access back in 1994 <laughs> to play this? Enough that they've been bitter ever since. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I get an AOL credit, please? Thank you. <laughs> Logging in and going, 
no, no, no. I miss that sound. Yeah, no, I'm going to take Ryan's impression of that sound. I'm going to isolate it, and that's going to be my <laughs> notification sound on my phone from now on. <laughs> I do take bang, more commissions, bang, I'm just saying. <laughs> this one's for free, <laughs> but in the future. It's just a taste. The first one's always yeah, for free. Yeah, the first taste for free. <laughs> From Eurogamer, Twitch set to offer streamers more ways to make money and update ads incentive program in 2023. Twitch has provided a look ahead at its key updates for 2023, including offering more options for streamers to earn money and updating its ads incentive program. In an open letter from Chief Product Officer Tom Verrilli and Chief Monetization Officer Mike Minton, the pair detail new products set to launch in the first half of the year. Our main focus for the year is your growth both for your communities and for your earnings on Twitch, they said. Some of the biggest changes will come to the ads incentive program. Streamers have criticized the existing system for its complexity and the lack of control they have over ads shown on their stream. This year, the program will be updated to provide streamers with greater flexibility to adjust the number of ads, as well as more visibility and control over when they run. Other changes will be made to pre-roll ads. For instance, running three minutes of ads per hour in any way will disable all pre-rolls. Picture-by-picture ads will also be applied to the majority of pre-rolls. Further, it will be made easier for streamers to flag incoming ads to their viewers. Twitch will also explore new ways for streamers to make money. It's set to launch Soundbytes, a first-party sound alerts tool where viewers can pay to interact with streamers. Sponsorship features will also be tested, such as providing channel skins and clickable branded graphics. We love seeing what you can do when you're enabled and empowered. We're launching these features and tools because we want you to be able to build the communities you want to build more easily and more reliably, reads the blog post. I will say anything that fixes having a random ad pop up in the middle of someone's stream makes me at least excited. There's nothing worse than watching a streamer. They're going through like a boss battle. You know, they're really into it, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, pops up 30 seconds. You can't skip it. You got to watch this ad. Right. right. And they have no idea. So I, I actually, there was instances in which the, the streamer's interacting with the chat, asking questions, and all of a sudden, the, the streamer's like, is anybody there? <laughs> What's going on? And then all of a sudden, uh, the chat just fills up with, oh, just got an ad, oh, just got an ad. And that's such an obnoxious way to watch. And I get that ads are a way for Amazon and Twitch to make money. I get that. But the, the lack of control has been a huge issue. So if they're looking to address that, then great. Yeah, I mean, it's like you you really don't understand your platform at all, do you? Right. A platform that was intended to stream video games. Okay, something that happens actively on the go live. And you built your ad program just to randomly interrupt. That, that was never, ever going to work. Have you played video games before? Do you even know what you're doing? It's not like YouTube where the video pauses and then resumes after the ad. It's not even like a sports game where they have media breaks that you can do this kind of stuff. They just thought they could phone it in and do it like they do with every other type of media. And you just can't. And and that they had no idea that that was the case is kind of mind blowing. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's it'd be the equivalent of like watching a political debate and all of a sudden, like a, just a random ad pops up. They're like, all right, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Could you tell us what your, your stance is on this? And it's like, oh, Fanta Fanta. Don't you want a Fanta Fanta? Although, to be fair. To be fair. Anybody watching a political debate would probably welcome a Fanta interruption. <laughs> that's true. True, true. <laughs> and I guess that's the biggest issue on all of these changes is they're spinning this as an update that's going to put more control in the hands of the streamers themselves. And I guess it remains to be seen whether that is actually the case or not, or if they're just trying to spin it that way. I mean, it, it really all the control that they're giving is just for the ads. They're, they're basically saying you're, you're going to have ads one way or the other, but you have control over when you want to show them, uh, whether to alert your viewers like, hey, I've got an incoming ad. You know, go take a dump if you want to, because this is going to be a while. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot to be said for having control of when the ads show up. We tried Buzzsprout ads for all of one day. Uh. And because they didn't allow us to put where in the show that it showed up, and it ended up just being a nuisance and an interruption. And we're like, nope, we can't do it. So, But we did make a whopping 57 cents. We did. We made 57 cents Ooh. in one day. So if you extrapolate that out, I mean, we're saying no to a lot of money. <laughs> It totally kills the mood, no matter what it is, whether it's a Buzzsprout ad that's not properly timed, whether it's an ad like you guys were talking about on a Twitch stream where the guy's going on a boss rush and the next thing you know, it's over with, but you didn't get to see it because of the ad. It sucks. If you give me control over where I can put it and when I can put it, fine. Giggity. (laughs) You're not wrong. I should not have phrased it like that. If you give me control over where I can put the ad in my stream or my podcast, when I can put the ad in my stream or podcast, fine. I would love to have that. Uh, The other piece to this is that there's an option for picture in picture uh, when applied to the majority of pre-rolls. Do I get to choose where that that is uh, as far as on my screen? So it's not over my face or over gameplay? Yeah, like I said, it all goes back to control. What level of control are they going to give people over their streams? I kind of doubt it's going to be that much. Right. They might test it out at first and then see how it goes. But at this point, though, I will say I am excited that they've recognized that that just (laughs) random drop of an ad is a bad thing. So thank you for listening, Amazon. Acknowledging the problem is the first step. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up from Games Radar, two Marines fooled a military AI using a classic Metal Gear Solid technique. Turns out, Metal Gear Solid was onto something with its cardboard box disguises. Earlier this week, the defense editor at The Economist, Shawshank Joshi, was reading Paul Shar's book, Four Battlegrounds, Power in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Shar's book reveals several U.S. Marines managed to trick an artificial intelligence targeting system by hiding underneath a cardboard box. You could hear them giggling the whole time, like Bugs Bunny in a Looney Tunes cartoon, sneaking up on Eldemer Fudd in a cardboard box, Shar's book reads, referencing someone who was there at the time and watched eight Marines attempt to reach the AI targeting system over 300 meters. 
Does this sound familiar at all? It probably will to those familiar with the Metal Gear Solid series, in which Solid Snake and the other protagonists could periodically hide under cardboard boxes in order to evade detection by enemy soldiers. Considering Hideo Kojima wanted Metal Gear Solid to have pet rats for Solid Snake to raise, the cardboard box is hardly the weirdest thing that could have happened in that game. Perhaps if that reported Metal Gear Solid 3 remake ever actually surfaces, it'll bring hiding under cardboard boxes to a whole new generation of gamers. Does the AI like all of a sudden go, huh? <laughs> Whenever it sees like the box, the cardboard box. I hope so. I don't know what sort of uh, exterior the AI had. Like if it was just a sensor or hopefully it, it makes a better story if it's like some kind of robot. But if it just starts looking around in confusion every time they were under a cardboard box, that's how I'm picturing it in my head. Right. And that was one of the funniest things in Metal Gear Solid is being able to just Put a freaking cardboard box over your head, do a duck walk, walk behind a soldier and just immediately sit down. He turns around. He's like, oh, cardboard box just randomly shows up. That's normal. I'm going to go on patrol again. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) It all seems legit here. Right. If it was a level with a bunch of cardboard boxes that you were trying to make your way through, I get it. But you have a ship. Like in Metal Gear Solid 2, like you're coming down the stairs and all of a sudden you're like, whoop, you put on the box, you sit down and all of a sudden somebody comes around the corner. Really? That box is not, the box is supposed to be there? Come on, kick it, do something with it, whatever. (laughs) Amazon is getting really personal with their deliveries right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you thought, if you were one of the people who thought that was a stupid way to do your stealth in that game, well, obviously it's true to life. Kojima knew what he was doing. Because he's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) right there you go i'm just surprised this ai targeting system didn't have a thing like i don't know infrared (laughs) that could see through the back you know (laughs) or just sound display right guys are giggling in there right (laughs) (laughs) like echolocation you can't you can't hear the giggles I hope that's not the targeting system that's monitoring the skies for nukes that protect right. us all. <laughs> Just put a box over the nukes. Right. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> My nuclear bunker is going to look like a cardboard box. They'll never find it. Actually, what they're going to do in the future is employ cats uh, for it, because anybody knows that if you have a cat in a cardboard box, they will find each other. Yeah. So. <laughs> we'll call it Operation If I Fits, I Sits. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the fact that gamers, obviously these guys didn't just come up with this on their own. They, they must have been fans of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I love this. I think we should bring more of these opportunities for... Video game solutions. Modern times require modern solutions. (laughs) Yes, I'm here for it. Gamers, it is our time. Let's go (laughs) fix the world. And now let's take a look at our top three new releases for the week. First up is Forspoken, platform PS5 and PC. Mysteriously transported from New York City, Fred Holland finds herself... Mm. Or sorry. Frey, not Fred. Fred. (laughs) It's a whole different game. (laughs) Frey Holland finds herself trapped in the breathtaking land of Athia. 
A magical sentient bracelet is inexplicably wrapped around her arm, and Frey discovers the ability to cast powerful spells and use magic to traverse the sprawling landscapes of Athea. Frey nicknames her new golden companion Cuff and sets off. That's such a weird. <laughs> it sets off to find a new home. Take on the twisted monsters in magical combat with a wide variety of powerful abilities, catering to a variety of playstyles, from fast-paced and exhilarating to strategic and and methodical next up is golden eye 007 xbox series x and s xbox one and switch rare is releasing golden eye 007 hd on xbox as a remaster of the legendary n64 title that launched in 1997 the game will be available on january 27th for xbox and nintendo switch with a remaster version of the xbox that includes 4k resolution smoother frame rates and even split screen local multiplayer online multiplayer modes will be exclusive to the nintendo switch version of the game as nintendo is using the original game microsoft has made a faithful recreation of goldeneye for the xbox it will include a local multiplayer mode with split screen for friends and last is Dead Space Remake, platform PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. Sci-fi horror classic Dead Space Returns, completely rebuilt from the ground up to offer a deeper, more immersive experience. The remake brings jaw-dropping visual fidelity, suspenseful atmospheric audio, and the improvements to gameplay while staying faithful to the original game's thrilling vision. Isaac Clark is an everyman engineer on a mission to repair a vast mining ship, only to discover something has gone horribly wrong. Trapped with the hostile creatures called the Necromorphs, Isaac faces a battle for survival, not only against the escalating terrors of the ship, but against his own crumbling sanity. So taking a look at these three, Donnie, we're going to start with you. What, what is on your radar? With you. With you. With, with you? We're going to start with you, man. <laughs> uh, from, from off the cuff, GoldenEye 007. It's specifically the Switch version because that has the multiplayer, the online multiplayer. You're saying, Xbox, you're only going to give us local multiplayer? I have to have people come over to my house to play a game <laughs> with me? Nobody wants that. No, that, that stuff died in the 90s. People are going to see this and they'll say, hmm, should I get this one because it's got smoother graphics or, or whatnot? Uh, but no, nobody to play with. No, I'm going to take the Switch version. I'll play with my friends online without having to use that stupid N64 controller, which I tried. I tried going back and playing that game with that controller. It does not work. I got so confused and frustrated. I, I questioned reality. I questioned how I did this back then. <laughs> Be careful, Donnie. <laughs> the, the, the N64 stands are boiling right now. <laughs> All 10 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if the N64 stands are still listening at this point, I'd be really shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but being able to play that game with uh, you know, the, the Joy-Cons or the Pro Controller, I think would be uh, a very, very high step up. Um, Dead Space Remake, I, I never played Dead Space. I never really got into it. I like the concept of it, although it's space sci-fi, which isn't really my jam, but it's also horror. So I never really sat down and took the time to, to really play through it. But now that it's getting a remake, maybe I will give it a try. Um, the other one, what was it, Forspoken? I, I mean, from the from the screenshots, it looks okay. It looks like it's a, it might be a decent play, but um, that one might be a, a distant third. But all three of these games sound like they would be worth playing. Excellent. Blue, what about you? 
So I was at one point really looking forward to Forspoken. It's made by some of the team behind Final Fantasy 15. And after playing the demo, I can definitely see that it feels a lot like Final Fantasy 15 as far as the world, as far as the combat. And ultimately, after I played the demo, that ended up not being a good thing. I was really, really bored almost immediately because the game felt like I'd already played it a thousand times. And I didn't see anything, at least in the demo, that felt terribly unique or compelling or any reason why I should keep going. So I played the demo for maybe an hour and didn't even finish it. And I was like, meh, I don't think I probably need to get this after all. And I don't know how people generally feel about review scores. I know that people, a lot of people say they're useless, but the early review scores for this game are not good and kind of actually match what I was thinking is that it's been there, done that basically. So I'm probably going to be skipping that one. Not going to play GoldenEye 007, don't like shooters, but I am kind of interested to hear how many people go play the online multiplayer on Switch and go, oof, I didn't remember it being this bad. <laughs> now, would you be would you be on board if we just did slappers only, if all of us got into a lobby and we just did the slappers? I don't slap- even know what that means. Oh my God, you don't know what that means? I don't know what that did means. Did you not spend hours and upon hours in your childhood doing slappers only? What did I just say? I don't like shooters. <laughs> it's not a shooter when you're slapping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, I did not. I, I, I don't like shooters. I've never played this game, but I know that people are fiercely protective of their their nostalgic memories of GoldenEye 007. And I think those rose-colored glasses are really going to be put to the test when this game releases on Switch Online. And I look forward to seeing it. (laughs) Watch it burn. (laughs) (laughs) And that leaves me with the Dead Space remake. Like Donnie, I didn't play the original and I feel bad about that. I feel like I should go play the original before I play the remake, but the remake is tempting to me because it's on PS5. There's a lot to be said for the convenience of it, as opposed to going and hunting down a copy from PS3, I think, having to boot up the PS3 and plug it in just for this game. So, Oh, wow. First world problems. I, mean, I know, right? I have so many first world problems, you guys. I It's a struggle to get up every single day. Um, but of these three, Dead Space Remake is what I would go for. Nice. So what about you, Ryan? Uh, so, uh, based off of just your description, not only this week, I think we've talked about first booking before, just being old hat, if you will. Yeah, that's probably not something that I would be into. So, I'm going to pass on that one. Uh, Goldeneye, what an interesting way or uh, kind of take on this one. Either you can have all of the quality of life things that you want to see out of a Goldeneye game, but you can't play it online. Or you can have the same old game. That you played in 1997, but hey, you can play with friends. It's like <laughs> you can't, choice. right? Exactly, but you, it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too at this nope. point, right? Uh, so I will definitely, though, I will be checking out Goldeneye 007 just out of curiosity. Now with Dead Space, though, I uh, recently listened to an episode of the Retro Blast podcast uh, with uh, Pat, who of course uh, was on the show before, and they talked about. Dead Space, and I'd never played it before, and they made it sound exceedingly interesting, and so I will more than likely be checking out Dead Space Remake, uh, probably day one, to be honest. All right, so why don't we go ahead and announce our big winner for our giveaway. As you're probably familiar from last episode, we talked about the fact that we're going to be giving away a free copy of Fire Emblem 
engage for the Nintendo Switch. So let's go ahead and announce the big winner. Drum roll, please. <laughs> and our winner is Alan Schro, aka at C Schro80. Congratulations, you have won a copy of Fire Emblem Engage. So if you'd like to go ahead and claim that copy, feel free to DM me at Retro Game Brews to provide me with your details. You do have a limited amount of time to do that. So if you don't answer by Monday morning, uh, we will move on to the next person. So listen now. Get it. Contact me. (laughs) (laughs) The game is yours. And now let's take a look at our main topic for the week. From IGN, opinion, video game remakes should be more than just HD clones of old games. Directors and Hollywood studios have been remaking films for decades. Many of those remakes are considered among the best movies of all time. The Thing, Heat, Scarface, A Fistful of Dollars, The Departed, the list goes on. Each one of these examples re-examines and recontextualizes the original story, creating a recognizable but vitally distinct final product. A good remake retains the core essence, but provides a new perspective on the same events. This is the pathway that video game developers seem largely hesitant to follow, and that threatens to have the industry stuck in a creative rut. Nostalgia continues to exert its iron grip on pop culture, and it's asking us to pay full price for games we've already played. Among the least inspiring movie remakes are those that are overly beholden to the original work, Gus Van Zandt's 1998 shot-for-shot remake of Psycho comes to mind, as does Disney's current campaign to pointlessly clone its animated back catalog in live-action format. Sony's first-party studios have adhered to a similar approach over the last few years with remakes of Shadow of the Colossus, Demon's Souls, and last year's The Last of Us Part 1. While these remakes are undeniably fantastic games, that's almost entirely down to their timeless original concepts preserved almost entirely intact like precious museum pieces, rather than any new ideas. But at least Bluepoint was working with games that genuinely did benefit from a huge visual upgrade. Naughty Dog's 2013 survival horror classic remains very strong in its visual direction, particularly its PS4 remaster, and so it's difficult to see exactly what the creative point of The Last of Us Part 1 remake is. I worry the upcoming Resident Evil 4 will also fall into the same trap. Developer Capcom does have a phenomenal track record with Resident Evil 2, which completely reimagined the PlayStation 1 classic with modern visuals and, most importantly, gameplay. But the rules of its over-the-shoulder horror template were established with the original Resident Evil 4, a game so perfectly engineered that it not only still holds up well, but defined the principles upon which almost every third-person action game follows today. So what, exactly, is it about Resident Evil 4 that needs remaking? Why did Capcom not opt for Code Veronica, or the original Resident Evil, both of which would hugely benefit from the same bold reinvention treatment used for Resident Evil 2? I can't help but wonder if the Resident Evil 4 remake will simply follow Sony's lead and be a clone with a fresh coat of paint. So why are so many video game remakes unlike the bold reimaginings that movie remakes are? The clone-like process is understandable when you take a closer look at industry trends and challenges. We're demanding significantly more lavish production values, and so projects cost much, much more than they used to. In response, companies are seeking out pre-existing worlds and characters that are proven successes and come with 
almost assured popularity and massive sales. A decade ago, that was franchises, hence the explosion of things like the MCU and Call of Duty. Today, studios need even safer bets, hence remakes. Video game remakes not only come with an established and diehard fan base, but also a package of development benefits. There's a huge amount of groundwork already complete. Characters, story, locations, mechanics, the pre-production, creative vision is all there. And in many cases, so are the tools, since the remakes are often developed in engines, the team is already deeply familiar with. But if developers want to provide perfect replicas of old games rather than bring new creativity, there's an option for that. Remasters. It's a format that suffered a bad reputation thanks to the dreadful quality controls in things like the old Silent Hill HD collection, and more recently, the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy and Blade Runner remasters. So it's unsurprising some studios are looking towards full remakes as better guarantees of quality. And on the opposite side of the Crisis Core coin is Final Fantasy VII Remake, a prime example of the sort of ambitious remake I want to see more of. It has its development safety net, the characters, events, locations, weapons, and story beats that older players are deeply nostalgic for. But it reimagines all of that with a distinctly modern approach to gameplay and narrative. There's plenty of remakes on the horizon, and it's exciting to think of what new experience they will provide. Hopefully, these remakes are being led by directors as bold and as inventive as John Carpenter, Martin Scorsese, and Brian De Palma, rather than companies content to simply make ray trace replicas of gaming classics we've already played and paid for. So this is kind of a relevant debate, considering that two of the games that are releasing this week that we covered, GoldenEye 007 and Dead Space, are remakes. Mm-hmm. We've talked at length about remakes as they've come up. Most recently, I think, with the Resident Evil 4 remake. Like I've said many times on the show, I am concerned with how they're going to change it. This author is arguing that there's no point in doing a remake unless you change it. And in a lot of ways, I would agree. I don't think there's any point in remaking something just to have it exactly the same. They use the uh, Gus Van Sant uh, Psycho movie as an example, and that was not a good movie. There was, there was no surprises to come. You'd, you'd already seen it a million times, but it had this weird sort of dissonance, like it wasn't quite right, even right. though you knew it was coming. And so uh, as a general rule, I don't think you should remake games. I just don't. I think that remasters and ports should be what you have. Like I'm, Like I said, I'm tempted by the Dead Space remake because it's convenient. And so I guess, you know, it's a test of how strong are your principles? Are you willing to buy the remake or not? <laughs> now, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. With something like Shadow of the Colossus, right, for the PlayStation 2, that game to me is a little bit difficult to determine things in the environment. Right. To make things out to like, okay, these polygons are so bad. Uh, the way it looks mm-hmm. is just so it's all meshed together that I can't really make things out. And I had a lot of trouble with that game. So if you want to remaster that game, sure, I'll pay a little bit of money for that convenience. And really, I think the vast majority of games, that's kind of what they they need. Like, especially if you think about games from the PS1, PS2 era, a lot of the problems like quality of life stuff, like visuals, like bad cameras, that kind of stuff can be fixed in a remaster. You don't mm-hmm. really need to remake them. I think the Resident Evil 2 remake might be an example of a remake that's actually okay. It might be the, it's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. The tank controls were the biggest reason why it needed a remake, mm-hmm. in my opinion. 
I know you disagree. <laughs> and they really didn't change that much content. They changed in a ton. The, remake. the game's completely uh, different. Uh, uh, uh. Is it? <laughs> it is. is it's completely it? different. Isn't it? It is. In my opinion, I don't think they changed that much of the game. The core concept still existed. There were certain things that they did change, like with the uh, security guard that you constantly interacted with in the the main part of the uh, the police station, right? Uh, that wasn't there in the original one, or at least I don't think it was. The same elements were there, the same gameplay elements. You're going around the police station trying to solve the puzzles, trying to get all the different keys and open the different rooms, Mr. X dropping in, chasing you all around, making you crap your pants, the liquor coming from the ceiling, all that stuff. There was just certain smaller elements of the story that they incorporated. To me, in my opinion, it wasn't that big of a change. Yeah, I mean, they kept the skeleton of the game. They were smart enough to do that. But how you move through the game moment to moment is completely different. It's a completely different experience than it used to be. Because of the tank controls. Because of the switch from the tank controls to the regular. I will give you that one. I will give you that one, yes. Okay, we agree. Meet in the middle. <laughs> Yay. That was beautiful. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> See, now if this was Twitter, we should fight to the death and then block each other and then talk about it for the next two weeks about how we blocked that asshole. Right, right. All hail me. Get on my side. Right. I think as we kind of described with Dead Space, if you've never played the game before and now you get to play the remake and it's a little bit more fluid, remove some of the, the tough parts of the game that people will find annoying. That's maybe your audience at the end of the day is folks that never played it, but always wanted to. But can you really bank on that being your only audience that you want to cartel to? Uh, unless you're talking about games that existed in the 80s and 90s, where gaming was considered to be more of a subculture than it is today. I don't well, know. And even then, if your audience is people who didn't play the original, you can still capture those people with a remaster and a port. Absolutely. And, and make it easy and convenient to play the game if it, that's what's holding people back as they don't have the original hardware anymore. So I really struggle to think of, as a general rule, I really struggle to think of any remakes that serve any sort of purpose except for being a straight up cash grab. Like this kind of says, studios want sure bets to make a crap ton of money. So let's go ahead and, and play on nostalgia and give people more of the same and make money that way. I mean, movies have, have been creatively devoid of, of anything original for so long, for right. so long. And I think about the movies back in the 90s and how exciting Hollywood was at that time. It's why I went to film school. And what they became shortly after that, it's, it's, it's so disappointed because the system itself is broken. The system itself does not reward creativity. It rewards being safe. And unless people start to vote for something else with their dollars, that's never, ever going to change with movies or with video games. And you're right in the, in the sense, being a consumer, a lot of people don't want to jump into a new style of game, a new type of game. We don't want to spend our money because we've obviously been burned by games that don't play well. Mm -hmm. Granted, that's what we did a lot in the 90s and 80s was, right. you know, let's roll the dice on this one. Of that sounds course. cool. Right. But back then, you even if it sucked, you still learned to love it. Right. But the thing that, that came out of this was uh, rentals. So you could rent a game before you bought it. So that was right. great. And your example with like Forspoken 
having a demo to play it first right. so that I can figure out if I really want to spend my dollars on this. Wow, what a novel concept. Mm-hmm. And now I feel terrible because the one original game that's coming out this week, I hated it. And that's <laughs> feeding exactly into this this whole point of studios can't risk making a flop. They can't risk spending money and years producing a flop. I don't know what the answer is. I don't want to buy Forspoken just on principle. Right. It's a risk-reward situation, and I suppose in a lot of ways you can't fault companies for for going with the easy path. Indeed. Even if I hate it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's that's maybe, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about last week with the continuous pumping out of the same thing over and over again with like Call of Duty and um, there was another, the, the Fire Emblem series, right? Mm-hmm. When I was saying, why are they continuing to make games in the series? Well, it's because people love them, because people buy them. They spend their money on them. And if they're going to continuously do that with every single entry into the series that comes out, these companies are, would be stupid to stop that. Yeah, it's, it's at the end of the day, they're a business. But to, to Blue's point, even though it's a necessity, you don't have to like it. Oh, absolutely. You can hate it all you want. I, <laughs> I, I firmly do. Is this an area where indie games will save us? Because you think about some of the best indie games that have come along recently, like Cult of the Lamb, Tunic, Stray, Hades. These are games that were creatively brilliant and managed to be successful. They got the best of both worlds. And when they do that, they're rewarded for it. But without the terrible cost of production that AAA studios are burdened with. I think indies have done a great job of of giving us dynamic content that takes us away from the AAA titles that, you know, just bog down the market with your different Call of Duties, with your different this, your different that. It's the same old, 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 the next God of War thing, yada, yada, yada. They do a great job of taking our attention away from these things. And that's why lately I found myself playing a little bit more indie titles as opposed to the AAA titles. You know, when it comes to to the indie market, I'm glad that it's not just relegated strictly to Steam, where that's the only place that you can really play indie stuff. They have a marketplace within mainstream gaming on consoles that's available to it. Yes, uh, often what we're looking at is that with indie developers, it's difficult for them to get to the masses. But when a game like you example, like Stray, Tunic, uh, Cult of the Lamb, when those get out there, it becomes this frenzy. It, it becomes a viral game, essentially, uh, that people want to play. And uh, yeah, that that makes me hopeful. Hopeful for the future. And indie game developers aren't doing remakes. I, I'm not expecting to see a remake of Cult of... HD remake of Cult of the Lamb <laughs> in, in 10 years, right? Full right. 3D. Hyper-realistic lamb graphics. <laughs> <laughs> lamb graphics. Online multiplayer. Pitch your cult against your friends. <laughs> All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Letus Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. In 1994, Nintendo Power sent out the first of 10 promo videos to subscribers. On that first tape, Donkey Kong Country was the focus. But there was a teaser after the white fuzz at the end of the cassette that showed the host sneaking into a top-secret room 
and spying on Nintendo employees playing what game that was still in development. I believe that's illegal. <laughs> Tune into the latest podcast this Wednesday. <laughs> Tune into the latest podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the latest on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. So, 1994, Donkey Kong Country was the focus on that one. What came out right after Donkey Kong Country was it? Redacted. That's a good guess. Yeah, that's a good guess. This one in particular to Tim is extremely nostalgic because apparently back in the day he did have this tape. Oh, really? I have seen this tape in a uh, a retro shop. Did it say seven days? <laughs> <laughs> I know better than to watch weird VHS tapes, trust me. <laughs> if horror movies have taught me anything, you don't watch old VHS tapes. No, definitely not. I'll give you a clue. Okay. Okay. Also developed by Rare. Oh. Also developed by Rare. Uh, that was going to, that actually changed my. Yeah, I had some guesses no. before, and now I got nothing. <laughs> oh. Redacted. Yes, very good. Oh, oh duh. Okay. Of course, of course. Kevin Bayless would be so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kev. <laughs> Thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, we'll be discussing an often forgotten tournament of epic proportions that took place at Blockbusters all over in 1994. We, of course, will be talking about the Blockbuster Video Game World Championships 1994. I thought you were talking about the ultimate rewind challenge. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, get out a pencil and like rewind the tapes as quick as possible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> First one to get carpal tunnel wins. <laughs> so are you guys familiar with this tournament at all? Yes. Yeah, it, I, I think people are aware of it, but the details on it are really sparse. You know, our friend Patrick uh, from the Retro Blast podcast has a jacket that says he participated in the Blockbuster World Video Game Championships. Which is going to be interesting to my request that I just put out on this episode. But uh, yeah, you'll find out in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, you know, before we jump into the history of this event, I wanted to let you know that I spent a lot of time doing research for this week's Gaming History 101. But oddly enough, there isn't a lot of information out there regarding this tournament. In fact, the most popular search results for Blockbuster Video Game World Championships is that Famous Twitch streamer Dr. Dick Disney. Dr. Dick. <laughs> Dr. Disrespect, which I apparently was disrespectful to him just right now, uh, claims that he was the two time champion of the event, followed by a number of articles and videos debunking this claim. However, I want to compile today's lesson on all that I could find. Now, if you're listening and you either competed in this tournament or know somebody who did, please contact us. We would like to know more. So, Patrick, we're talking to you. All right. So, back to the history. Now, by 1994, large video game tournaments were not out of place in the zeitgeist. Starting with Atari's Space Invaders tournament in the early 1980s, won by former guest of the podcast, Rebecca Heinemann. Uh, to the extremely famous 1990 Nintendo World Championships, Nintendo's Campus Challenge in 1991-92, and PowerFest 94. Considering at the time Blockbuster was one of the biggest video game rental companies on the planet, they knew they had to get in on the action. 
And the reasons are fairly easy to imagine. If you host a video game tournament at your local stores, gamers will come in droves to rent your titles to practice for the event. Now, partnering with GamePro Magazine to announce and host the finals, Blockbuster heavily advertised its tournament in early 1994. Different from most tournaments, this event would include two different systems for players to compete in. The two most popular at the time, of course, being the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. An idea that was possible only because Blockbuster was hosting the event and not one of the console companies like we saw with Nintendo. Now, a genius move, I got to say, by Blockbuster, as this was the height of the 90s console wars. Now, similar to previous tournaments, players would compete in trying their best at truncated versions of currently available titles. For the Super Nintendo, players would compete for the best scores in NBA Jam, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, and Clay Fighters Tournament Edition, which, by the way, was a blockbuster exclusive game and could only be rented by getting a copy from the store. For the Genesis, there was NBA Jam, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and Virtua Racing. Now, players would compete in the tournament starting at their local level by visiting their local store between June 15th and July 10th for anyone under the age of 21. Sorry, old heads, you could not compete in this one. Eventually, you would advance to the finals by competing in a head-to-head match with other store winners in one half of NBA Jam, so both Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Now, throughout my research, I didn't find any any indication that if you played in one console's tournament, you couldn't play in the others. However, my guess is that no self-respecting console war soldier would ever play in the competition's tournament. I can feel the fanboys boiling at the mere <laughs> suggestion of this concept. Now, once you won your regional tournament, you would be invited to compete in the World Championship Finals. 230 players would get the opportunity to play in the finals in the Broward County Convention Center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in August of 1994. Mostly based in the U.S. for Blockbuster, uh, over 200,000 players competed in the tournament, but international players from Australia and Chile also competed in the event. Now, winners of the tournament would get a free trip to Game Pro headquarters in San Francisco to be featured in an up-and-coming video game. Ooh. Any guesses what that video game was? Mm, comic Zone. Great guess. It was available on both Super Nintendo and Genesis, and it featured a basketball player. Um, Shaq Fu? Shaq Fu. Ooh. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, me. Now, I, I, I'm not 100% sure that it was Shaq Fu, but uh, based off of the sources that I watched and, and read, uh, that was the suggestion. So if I'm completely wrong, feel free to call me out. Oh, they will. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. They always do. <laughs> yes, they do. Players in the finals would be competing in both existing and unreleased games for the tournament. The tournament itself was sponsored by GamePro and Acclaim and was more like a convention atmosphere featuring booths and booth babes for new and established titles. The tournament even included an appearance by teen heartthrob Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, so (laughs) (laughs) Now, players would compete in a gauntlet of games and their combined average score would determine if they would advance to the finals of the finals. Sadly, my research did not yield a definitive list on what was played, but I know for sure NBA Jam and Jungle Book for the Genesis was played. With Madden 95 as a likely unreleased title played on the event. 
Now, uh, interestingly enough, competitors were split up into teams of anywhere between eight to six players. Now, while they competed individually for championships, an award was given out for top team with Team Dark Lightning taking home the win, which is kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> but that sounds badass, so why not? Well, it's like lightning made with black light. There you go. Now, Fred Dottie, 17 of Maryland, was the overall winner for the Genesis Tournament, and Mark Guane, 14 of Massachusetts, was the Super Nintendo Tournament winner. Now, looking up Mark on Twitter, uh, his handle uh, is basically that Dr. Disrespect didn't win the tournament he did. (laughs) Uh, Nice. Yeah, and and I think he's only got four followers and he's not following anybody else. So I don't know if it's 100% him, but that to me was hilarious. That that the first thing I saw was, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Liar. Now, the tournament would see a second competition held the following year. And one of the rarest items in Genesis collecting world happens to be a special cart for the tournament that features shortened versions of NBA Jam Tournament Edition and Judge Dread, which today go for thousands of dollars at auction. So if you want to play only part of NBA Jam and only part of Judge Dredd, (laughs) whip out that pocketbook. Now, recently, however, I am pleased to say that the tournament has seen a resurgence. Last year, Portland Retro Gaming Expo hosted the third Blockbuster World Championships. The live stream on the show was hosted by two really wonderful people. You might have heard of them. Ducks in Disguise and Redox PDX. Both of them have been on the show before. Exactly. We know these people. They're awesome. And I believe they're planning another one uh, this year uh, at PRGE. And uh, obviously excited to watch history of the tournament continue. And if we end up going to PRGE, I will definitely be competing and losing in this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) At least you know your place. Yes. So to wrap things up, I will say that I'm a little disappointed that I couldn't find a comprehensive history of the tournament. Uh, like you can find uh, Nintendo Power Fest, Nintendo World Championships, uh, even the 80s tournament for Space Invaders. There's a Wikipedia page dedicated to that. There isn't one for this, which is super surprising to me. The Blockbuster Championships are a part of Blockbuster history, and you think it's something that the company should be eager to put out there. Of course. I agree. All right, so to wrap things up, in a day when esports are commonplace, it was epic events like this that helped pave the way for the competitive gamer, moving them from the guy in the arcade that stole your quarter, challenging the the Street Fighter, (laughs) to living in the annals of gaming history. Annals. Annals. (laughs) Love it, man. (laughs) Thank you for attending today's lesson, and a big thank you to Joe Leonard whose recollection video helped me piece together a lot of the information of this lesson. Just a reminder, if you have ideas for a story and you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com and we might feature your suggestion. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening to episode 57 of Gamers Week Podcast and a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, the latest podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. Email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com. Visit our Moich store at Gamers-Week-Podcast.Creator-Spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash GamersWeek. And finally, since you've made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform 
of choice. And let's hope you don't get sick from listening to this episode. Wash your hands after listening. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch your face while listening to Gamers Week Podcast. I can't feel my face when I'm with Don, and I like it, but I love it. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like, <laughs> I Google Street Fighter 6. The first search result that comes up is, people think they can see reused in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. (laughs) If you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.